So today we're starting a sermon series on the book of Jonah uh, for Lent. And uh, as we heard Jonah, uh, instead of going where God wanted him to go, uh, runs away to Tarshish, which of course is the first place in human history where the words were uttered, she sells seashells by the seashore. (laughs) Or if you want to make it harder, she sells seashells by the Tarshish seashore. Right? Say that five times fast. You want to try? No. No, no, you don't want to try. (laughs) Okay, so from now on, uh, throughout this sermon, I will be pronouncing Tarshish as Tarsus, uh, because I don't want to spend the whole time trying to pronounce SH sounds into the microphone. Uh, So when we last saw Jonah, just a few minutes ago, he's in a ship running away from Nineveh. But then a great storm is hurled upon the sea, and the ship was in danger of breaking apart. So the sailors drew straws, essentially, to see who was responsible for the calamity, and Jonah drew the short straw. So continuing in Jonah chapter 1, verse 8. So the sailors asked Jonah, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Or, what did you do? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and to be continued. Next week, find out what happens to this guy. So Jonah tries to run away from God, and so he flees to Tarsus, an ancient paradise in uh, the book of 1 Kings chapter 10, we hear that Solomon would send ships to Tarsus where they would find gold and silver and ivory and great riches and exotic animals like peacocks. Tarsus is, I don't know, essentially the Hawaii of the ancient world. Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, on the other hand, is a bad and dangerous place. Throughout the Bible, we hear things like the king of Assyria invaded the land, The king of Assyria took the land and deported the people. The king of Assyria laid siege. The king of Assyria attacked and captured. Assyria, like all great empires, is violent and greedy. They have caused an immense amount of human suffering in Israel. So can you see why Jonah would prefer to go to Hawaii rather than the evil empire? I mean, who wouldn't? Asking anyone to go into the heart of Nineveh seems insane. It's not safe. It's not practical. It's 
not a good idea. Tarsus is paradise. Nineveh is a bad place full of bad people. But even before we get to Nineveh, as Jonah is running away from Assyria, the author is inviting us to reconsider or to reevaluate our us versus them way of seeing the world. You see, this opening chapter sets the stage with characters who stand out as cartoon-like stereotypes. First, Jonah is a prophet. I mean, God speaks directly to Jonah, like audibly, out loud, to Jonah. Jonah worships the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. And Jonah, son of Amittai, literally means Jonah, son of truth, or Jonah, son of faithfulness. Second, we have the sailors, men who make their living on the sea, home, in the ancient mind at least, to forces of evil and chaos. Even today, we have phrases like, he was drunk as a, well, skunk or a sailor, right? Or how about, she curses like a pastor, doctor, teacher? No, she curses like a sailor if, if she swears a lot, right? And, and to add on to all of that, these sailors worship and pray to other gods. So, we enter this story assuming that the sailors are probably up to no good, and we assume that the holy person, the prophet, is the good guy. I mean, this is often how we understand the world. There are good people and there are bad people. And obviously, we are good people because we're the ones who got up early on Sunday morning Daylight savings time, no less, even though we lost an hour and we're here. Or, or we're online watching a church service instead of YouTube cat videos or whatever it is we could be doing. Like, we're the good people, right? And whoever else out there are, are the bad people. But almost immediately, we find out that Jonah is the one who's running away from God. And as the storm is raging, instead of praying, he's sleeping. Instead of helping, he's napping. The pagan sailors, on the other hand, turn to prayer and do everything within their power to save one another, even at the expense of losing their cargo, giving up their payday. And even when Jonah says, throw me into the sea, they do everything that they can to try to spare his life, even though he says that he's responsible. So in some ancient Jewish commentaries, they highlight the, the reluctance of the sailors to just throw Jonah into the sea by creating this, this, this other sort of mythical scene where uh, they first put Jonah in the water only up to his ankles, and the storm is calm. And so they pull, pull him back into the boat, and when they pull him back into the boat, the storm starts to rage again. So they lift him back into the water up to his waist this time, and the storm stops. So they lift him back into the boat, and the storm begins to rage again. So they put him back into the water up to his neck, and the storm becomes calm. They take him back into the boat one last time, and the storm returns, so they finally are forced to throw him back into, into the water. It's sort of like, like a kid sort of dropping a spoon onto the floor, and mom or dad picks it up. And, and so the kid drops the spoon onto the floor again, and mom and dad picks it up, and then... The kid drops it once more onto the floor until mom and dad picks up, trying to figure out, well, how does this whole system work? Like, how does this world work, right? Like, if we put Jonah into the water just a little bit, maybe that'll be enough. What the rabbis are highlighting is the righteousness and the, and the just nature of these sailors 
who have dedicated themselves to trying to preserve life. They realize that this is sort of an unusual way of, of telling a story, that we were not expecting the sailors to behave like this. And so we ask these questions, like, who is more open to God? Who's the one who cares about the things that God cares about? Is it the prophet of God? Is it the holy person? Or, or is it the sailors? You see, the story challenges our typical way of seeing the world through stereotype. As uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was putting himself in harm's way for the sake of justice and equality, I mean, nowadays, the vast majority of Americans revere him. We have a, an entire holiday for him, right? But then the majority of Americans viewed him unfavorably. And one of the reasons for this, apart from, from racism, was that the U.S. government, the FBI specifically with uh, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, was intentionally working to label him as a communist. I mean, forget that he was consistently preaching against communism. All that was needed to dismiss him and the civil rights leader or the civil rights movement was a label. That's all we really need is just one simple label. I mean, today it's hard to listen to any, any political or cultural conversation without the presence of these dismissive labels, right? Simple labels that allow us to ignore the people we don't like or the concerns that they might have. For example, what does it mean when someone says that a company or a politician or a person is woke or part of the woke mob? Just the other day, Lego was called woke because they made many figures that had uh, disabilities or physical disabilities. Woke has, has become this sort of lazy phrase that is used to ignore and dismiss anyone who wants to talk about or acknowledge the reality of racism or injustice or prejudice or inequality in America. On the other hand, calling people fascists is a label that whether it's true or not, dismisses people without further conversation or further reflection. Just the one simple label, that's all we need to dismiss people. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I don't think that both sides have equally valid perspectives. I am not an objective observer. Like, I'm not standing on the outside of all of these conversations saying, oh, that's interesting. So you won't be surprised when I say that I think being awake in general is a good thing. I mean, we can't be awake all the time, but being awake is generally a good thing. And if you've been around here long enough, you won't be surprised to hear me say that I think um, that there's something really dark and dangerous about the rise of Christian nationalism in the United States. And I think as Christians, we need to be really clear about that, that privileging ourselves in the public space is not healthy or good for us or for our country. So I, I get the appeal of these stereotypical labels. These stereotypes carry weight and emotion in a way that, that satisfies our anger and our big feelings, right? Like they just, it, it feels like we're saying something really important and really, um, really meaningful when we use these labels. But even if a label is accurate, we still need to go deeper. 
lazy and dismissive name-calling isn't moving any of us forward. It's not moving our country forward. It's not moving our world forward. Instead, the sailors on Jonah's ship are inviting us to, to look deeper, to look past the surface to what is more substantial and real. Now, I, I don't know what we'll find when we go deeper, but my assumption is, is that it's more complicated than our one-word labels would suggest. And that, that's just a guess. Life and people tend to be more complicated. So the season of Lent is about six weeks where we intentionally are invited to lean into the difficult and more complex realities of life. That's sort of what the season of Lent is all about. We lean into our mortality on Ash Wednesday. We move toward the darkness in hopes of finding the light somewhere. We acknowledge our pain and suffering instead of running away from it and hiding from it. And we acknowledge the pain and suffering of our world. That's what the season of Lent is about as we move toward Easter. So as we move through this season of Lent, the story of Jonah is inviting us to give something up. I mean, it's usually like chocolate or, or some, something else that we think is unhealthy for us. But I would say that the story of Jonah is inviting us to give up dismissing people without thought or reflection. I mean, it's just so easy to do that, and it's so fun at times to do that. But this story is inviting us to keep looking past the surface to what is more substantial, to what is more complicated, and to what is more real. Please pray with me. Jesus, we pray that you would guide us into the depths and open us up to you and to one another in ways that brings healing and understanding to our world. Amen.